0: after all that god has done for us in christ after all that he has done to make us his own what does he want from us after all that he has done to make us his own people his treasured possession sending jesus from the throne room of heaven Who shrink his deity in the skin and the sandals of humanity. Fully God become fully man. Who draped around his shoulders the brightness of heaven. And lived out and demonstrated the very glory of God every day of his life. Who was the fullness of God in physical form. Who was the fullness of man. Come to set man free. Jesus who came, who lived, and then who died, who gave himself generously, sacrificially for sinners like you and like I. We, we, we are here today because of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross in the place of sinners. Jesus died in my place. He died for me. So that my sin might be forgiven. He died for me so that I might live. Forgiven forever. Indwelt by the very Spirit of the Lord who has raised Jesus from the dead. I now live. I live in the newness of life marked by the first fruits of that newness in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I live today. After all that God has done for me. What? What? must I do for him after all that God had done for the children of Israel to make them who were a, were no people to become a people after all that God had done for the children of Israel to call their something a nation out of nothingness after all that God had done for the children of Israel to Make a covenant, a promise between Abraham and himself, to lead Abraham to that promised land, to to raise up a nation from Abraham that multiplied greatly, to rescue his people from bondage in Egypt, to give them the covenant, to establish his law and his will with them to lead them day after day through the wilderness until they finally, a generation later, finally get to enter to the promised land in which they inhabit today in the 8th century when Micah begins to preach. After all that God had done for them to create a nation, to create a strong nation, to give them leaders like David and then like Solomon, like Jeroboam and Hezekiah, after all that God had done for them, What does God need from them? Last week we began to look at what Micah had to say, or really what God had to say through Micah the prophet to his people. And the message to the people of God in the 8th century B.C. wasn't very good. It was filled with oracles of woe. And judgment, because they had forgotten what God wants. As we began the journey last week, we looked at Micah chapters 1 and 2, and we saw that what God requires, what God wants, is for His people to trust Him above all else. The children of Israel had placed their trust in a lot of different things, but it wasn't God. And so when the big bad wolf of Tiglath-Pileser, number three, the, the leader, the superstar of the rising superpower, Assyria, when he began to knock on Samaria's door, the northern kingdom, and when Judah could feel the threat of that nation, they began to tremble and fail because their trust was not in the God who had created them, but their trust was in chariots and Horses and stuff like that. So as we look at our own big bad wolves that come haunting us, that come howling at us, that come chomping at us, when we see the big bad wolves of our here and now as followers of Christ, what is our response? Our response must be to trust God above all else, above everything else, above ourselves, above what we hold in our hands, above what we can create, or uh, any uh, kind of intellectual journey we can make, we must trust God above all else. And when we trust Him above all else, then we have certain victory and blessing from His hand. Today, as we begin again, Hearing from God through the prophet Micah, we're going to take the journey as we did last week. We're going to look at the negative judgment that God poured out on his people. And we're going to learn the positive lesson as followers of Christ today. Because even today, even now, if we are in the boat that judah finds herself in if we are in the place of rebellion against God that that the children of Israel were in back in the 8th century BC today as followers of Christ even if we're there we can we can escape the judgment today in the hearing of my voice there is a chance for us to leave off what we've been doing and pursue again what God wants You can do what God wants today. Will you do what God wants today? Just as a shorthand of what God wants in the passage that we're looking today, He wants us to shine. After all that He has done for us through Christ, after pouring the light of the world into our lives, He is calling us to shine for Him we see this picture of shining for God in Micah chapter 4, verse 5. If you just want to see a shorthand of what this passage is all about, Micah chapter 4, verse 5. And god's speaking to his people through, through uh, Micah. He says, All the peoples of all the nations walk in the name of their gods. But we. The people of God. We, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. To walk in the name of the Lord our God is more than a slogan, it's more than, than just a sign we put on our doorpost. In my house, over the laundry room, there is a plaque. I had to ask my wife in the earlier service what the plaque said. It, it says, Blessed or Blessing. Still don't have it right. Blessing. My wife informed me in front of the entire congregation It had been up for over a year. (laughs) I knew it was there, but I'd forgotten what it said. Many times as followers of Christ, that's the way our life is. We know that we're supposed to walk in the name of the Lord our God, but sometimes it's, Such a foggy memory, we can't hardly remember in the midst of our day that that's what we're supposed to do. To walk in the name of the Lord our God is more than a slogan that we're supposed to adhere to. It's more than just taking on the mantle or the signage of a follower of Christ. It it means that we live every day shining brightly for Him. It means that we do what God wants. And what does God want? He wants us to represent Him well every day. That's what it means to walk in the name of the Lord our God. It means that we will represent Him well. So that when people see us, they see what God is like. Is that that a picture of our life today? And people, our friends at school, when they see us, when they talk with us, when they encounter us, do they think, man, I'm glad that's the way God is like. Or do they think something different? Today and every day, we are supposed to represent God well. And Micah begins by describing how the children of Israel, the people of God in the 8th century B.C., how they had not represented God well. And we're going to learn the lesson of how to turn that around for us today. So that we do what God wants. Now as a follower of Christ, you're going to want to do what God wants. If you, don't want to, if you don't want to do what God wants in the very core of who you are, then you need to question whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. It's just that simple. okay? And you need to hear that because sometimes we get so religious in our uh, stuff that we forget that being a follower of Christ is more than just being a quote-unquote Christian. It's more, than just, it's more than just showing up at church Being a follower of Christ means that we want to do what God wants. We have a changed heart. We have a renewed mind. We have have the spirit of God dwelling within us so that we long to do what God wants. So if you're here today and you don't want to do what God wants, then you need to really ask yourself, am I truly a follower of Jesus? But as followers of Christ... Today, the people of God. Today, let's learn the lessons from the children of Israel long ago. Now, if you remember chapters one and two, we were we were hearing God speak to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. That's Israel and Judah. They had divided sometime after Solomon was king, and and uh, they had divided into these two separate. Bands: the Northern Kingdom, the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom. Last week, we heard Micah say that Tiglath-Pileser number number three and Assyria is knocking at your door. And by the time we get to Micah chapter three, our text today, uh, Samaria and Israel, the Northern Kingdom is wiped out; it's demolished. And so now we are left with the Southern Kingdom, Judah, with its capital of Jerusalem. And Micah begins to preach to the house of Jacob to Judah and his words should pierce our hearts today God wants us to represent him well he wants us to shine after all that he has done for us in Christ the least we can do is represent him well in the world in which we live listen Micah chapter 3 beginning verse 1 I'll read through verse 7 and I said Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Let me stop right there, justice. Um, justice is the Hebrew term mishpat. And in, in this context, it is pointing to the will of God as it has been revealed in the covenant that He has made with the children of Israel. That covenant was established and then reaffirmed. It was established with Abraham. It was reaffirmed in the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount, Mount Sinai and Horeb. And then it was reaffirmed again uh, in Deuteronomy chapters uh, uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and 8, and all the way to chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. It is the covenant that God made, the, the way of life for his people, and his commitment to them and their commitment to him, that is justice. Justice is doing what God wants in our relationships with one another, and relationships with people out there, and our relationship with God. That's justice. So when when God begins to speak to the rulers of the house of Jacob, and he says, it's for you to know justice. It's for you to understand how that you are supposed to help people see what God wants and do what God wants. He goes on, verse 2, you who hate good and love evil. Wait, wait a second. Here are the people of God, and they're supposed to love good and hate evil, but they've turned it on its head. They turned it, they t- twisted it around and made it so crooked out of a own self-love and a self-will where they failed to see what they failed to see what God wants to pursue it. They've started loving evil and hating good. So obviously they've got justice all messed up. Verse 2, you hate good, love evil, who strip the skin of my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, who flay their skin from them and break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for a pot, like flesh in the cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord and he'll not, he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant shalom while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision. You shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them, so the seers shall be ashamed and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from their God. All right, so what's he saying? Well, obviously, the rulers and the prophets, in verse uh, 11, it's the priests as well. Um, they're, they're not representing God well. They're, they're doing the opposite of what God wants. Now, what is it that they're failing to do? Is, as, you, as you draw out from the prophets and the, and the priests and the, and, the, and the politicians of Judah, what is it that they fail to do? Well, they fail to love God the people and they failed to share the truth with the people. So if we flip that on its head it simply means to you and to me here's what we're supposed to do. We represent God well when we share love and share truth. When we share love. Now you look at verse 2 of, of chapter 3 and, and chapter, uh, verse 2 and 3, you, you see the picture of, of the rulers taking the people of God and skinning them alive and flaying them and breaking their bones and chopping them in pieces like meat for a cauldron. The, these people that are supposed to be the shepherds of God's people have become ravenous wolves to eat them alive. Here is a picture of just the opposite of love instead of loving the people, instead of loving others. They've hated them. They've despised them. Now, now the leaders, they loved themselves plenty. Everything they did, they did for themselves. It was all about self-interest. It was all about self-preservation. It was all about making some more money and getting some more land and getting some more power. Everything was for themselves. And that's the opposite of love. So if we're going to do what God wants, then we need to love not the way these folks in Judah did. If we're going to, love, if we're going to do what God wants then, and represent Him well, then we need to love the way Jesus did. Aren't you glad to have an example like Jesus to follow? I mean, here we are, we have the one who has loved us generously and sacrificially. In John chapter 1, verse 14, when John is describing Jesus, he said, This is the Word made flesh who has dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, the glory of heaven draped around his shoulders, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace. It means that he brought God's love to the common person, to you and me, to the person who didn't deserve it and the person who could not earn it. It means that Jesus came to bring God's love to to be at our disposal so that we might know love, so that we might taste love, so that we might be loved by God. That's what love does. And Jesus did it at a great price. He sacrificed himself. He died for our sin upon a cross to bring us to God. That's love. That's why in Philippians chapter two, Paul says, let nothing, talking to followers of Christ, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each one of us esteem others more important than ourselves. Doing it life like that is doing life the way Jesus did it. That's Philippians verse, chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he gave it all up and came in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus loved us in real time, in real ways, and that's how we're supposed to love. Now, let me ask you this. If somebody were to describe you, would they describe you as a loving person? Would that even be part of their vocabulary? Not just a loving person, though. See, it's easy for us to love people that love us back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, it's easy to love the people that, that treat us nice. It's, love, it, it's easy to love the people that always have good things to say about us. It's easy to love the people that always give you a Snickers bar on a Sunday morning. Hoorah! <laughs> but that's not, that's not the only way Jesus loved. See, Jesus loved when we gave him curses instead of blessings. Yeah. Jesus loved us when we were holding the whip that tore up his back the, and, and holding the anvil that stro- uh, uh, dro- drove the stake through his wrist. Jesus loved us then. And Jesus loves, regardless of our status or our place, or inside status or outside status, insider's club or outsider's club, Jesus loved the, 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 the person who had uh, less than tight morals and who had been living with a person that wasn't their spouse and who had who had uh, already been married three or four or five times. Jesus loved that person every bit as much as he loved the religious man who had all his morality figured out and came to meet Jesus in the midnight hour. Jesus loved the tax collector. collector. just as much as he loved his own disciple. Jesus loved the person that that couldn't give him anything, the blind man on the side of the road. He loved the beggar beside the pool of Bethesda. Jesus loved. He loved extravagantly. He loved universally. He loved sacrificially. Now that's how Jesus loved and that's how we're supposed to love. And if we're going to do what God wants, if we're going to show people who God is, that's what it means to represent him well then we need to show the server at uh, Starbucks who gets a little cross and ugly with us because we want a flat white and we want four shots of espresso in that tall cup and she doesn't know how to make that fit. And, And she gets a little mean and cross with you because you've asked for that kind of drink that she's not really sure she can give you. Instead of you responding and saying, get out of the way and I'll do it myself back there. No, 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 no. I'm supposed to show them the love of God. See, I'm not representing Eric Thomas at Starbucks. I'm representing God himself. You realize, do you realize that wherever you go, you're representing God as a follower of Jesus Christ and how you love others, even the ones that are less lovely than That that's That's how we show who God is. That's how we show his greatness and his goodness. It's hard for a person who doesn't know God to believe God will love him when all he sees are Christians that hate him. Today, we've been called to love. That's where the leaders were getting it wrong in Judah. They were were cutting people up for their own advantage. But it's not only love, it's also truth. See, God had a problem with the prophets too. The 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 politicians were bad, but the preachers were just as bad as the politicians. See, God had called them to speak truth, His truth. There's only one truth, by the way, there aren't many forms. Uh, many many shades of great. No, 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 no. There is one truth. There is absolute truth. It's the way things really are. And the way we know truth is to know what God says. See, God is truth and he gives us truth and his word is truth. And so when we speak and we want to share truth, we need to share with them what God says because that is truth. There is truth and there is false. And so often we as followers of Christ, we get so timid and shy about talking the truth, that we begin to give the impression that, that our truth is important, but your truth is okay, too. Well, guys, I got to tell you, that's a new phenomenon. That, 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 that's just new on the scene. It's only happened since about the 1950s or the 1960s. You can go back maybe to Friedrich Nietzsche and get a little bit of that, but it's not until this current generation that we began to say there is no such thing as an absolute truth. Everything has div- different shades of okay-ability. But today, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to shine. We're supposed to represent God well. And that means that we tell them the truth. Now, here's what was happening in in Micah's day. I'm getting a little bit carried away today. I just want you to know. Here's what was happening in Micah's day. Micah was a prophet. And all these other prophets were around him. And Micah was telling the truth. But all these other prophets, they weren't telling the truth. They were telling what people wanted to hear. Have you ever been to a carnival? You go to a carnival and you put a quarter in the slot, you push the little button, and you, and you hold down to Zadar's or Hoorah's little, uh, little stick, and, 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 and he makes some noises. And down at the bottom, there's a little, little slot, and you get a little fortune, a little word, a little saying, a little prophecy for you. And that prophecy is always good. you got money coming right around the bend. you got something that's going to happen for you. Just, just wait and see. Something good's going to happen. You just wait. You just see. And, and that's, that's what was happening in Micah's day. See, in Micah's day, in Micah's day, the prophets were like that carnival. People would come, pay them a coin, and the prophet would then give them some good words. Shalom always. But you know, we're not always doing what God wants and sometimes God's got to tell us the truth that we aren't doing what God wants and we need to know that we're doing not what God wants and, and, and we, need, we need God to communicate to us through his people and say, there needs to be some correction that takes place in your life. We need to be, we need to be the prophet in somebody else's life when they come to me and they say, oh, what does it mean to have a relationship with God? We need to tell them the truth. See, we need to share love and share truth. Now, I think it's important that these two go hand in hand. We're supposed to tell the truth in love. Now, many times we love to say, I'm, I'm a truth teller, especially in Baptist world. You know, Baptists we're known for being truth tellers, and, and we like to tell the truth. We forget the in love part. Truth is great, but truth has to be saturated with love. That's what in love means in the Greek. It means that you take the truth and you immerse it in the in the in, in, in a in a bucket of love. So that every core and fiber of that truth is then saturated with love before you share it. We're supposed to be telling the truth in love. And some of us, man, we're big on truth and little on love. You know what that means? It means that we're not doing what God wants. We're not representing him well. Others of us, we're big on love and and we skimp on truth. And, And you know what that means? It means that we're not representing God well. We're not doing what he wants. We're supposed to share truth and love. If we're going to represent God well, we've got to do both. We've got to share love and we've got to share truth. And so we need to exercise our faith muscles. To show love to people that are even a little bit unlovely to us. And tell truth to people, even the ones that don't want to hear it. We've got to share love and truth. second way we represent God well in our world is when we live filled with power. That's verse 8. Now, verse 8, Micah has just finished talking about the other prophets, but verse 8, he says, but that's not the way it is with me. He says, for I am filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord, with might and with justice, so that I might tell the house of Jacob her transgressions and her sins. He says, I am filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord. Now, guys, here's the good news for us. The good news for us is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God has made you prophet-like. He has indwelt you, he has possessed you, he he has poured himself into you. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit of God has awakened in you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You have all that you need to represent him well, but here's the problem. Sometimes we just ignore it. We ignore the power of the Spirit of God. Why? Because if we're going to taste that power, it means that we've got to submit to that sovereign king so often we fail to taste the power of the Spirit of the Lord because we just refuse to surrender to the Spirit of the Lord. Here we are. We're followers of Christ, and we have been given so much. We've been saved, rescued, filled, empowered. But somehow we get it in our heads and in our hearts that everything that's been done for us is just for our benefit. And that's all. No, 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 no. Everything that's been done for us has been done for God's glory that we might serve Him. And how do we serve Him? We represent Him well. If we represent him well, then, then we need to live out the promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Not just say it every now and then. Acts 1, 8, you know it. Jesus was talking to his followers just before he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, here's the thing. If we are followers of Christ, then we have all the power we need to represent God well. But we represent Him well when we are His witness. It's not just the life we lead, but it's the things we say. We need to show people the goodness, the greatness, the grace of God by sharing with them the gospel of God. We need to tell them who Jesus is and why he died on a cross and why he was raised from the dead. We need to share with people, not just around the world, and I'm excited about our missions fair and how we as a church are committed to be global in our emphasis of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But it also is you with your closest friend, your neighbor, your family member, The person you go to work with, the person you're at school with, have you told any of your schoolmates how that they might be saved? Today, we need to be a witness for Jesus. We represent Him well when we go in the power of the Spirit of God and share the gospel of God. There is no excuse for us. None. There's no excuse for us not sharing the gospel. You know why we don't share the gospel? It's because we're being disobedient. See, as we leave this place, it's easy to represent God well here in this room at this time with the gathered people of God. That's easy. It's when we go out there that we need the power of the Spirit of God to, to equip us, to enable us, to inspire us, to direct us, to give us courage. Micah. Micah was standing in the face of a culture and a people and leaders who told him to... Hush up. They said, don't speak your your drivel. Be quiet. And yet Micah stood with unflinching courage and told the truth about what God wanted because he was filled with the power of the Spirit of God. You and I tremble when our friends say, I can't believe you're a Christian. You're crazy. And yet, if we will submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, then we can help our friend. By the way, it's the greatest act of love we can do for someone else is tell them how they can be rescued by God's grace. But we've got to have this life filled with power. So surrender to the Spirit of God, yield to Him, say yes to Him, say no to yourself, and say yes to the Spirit of God. We represent God well when we share love and truth with others, when we have a life that's filled with the power of the Spirit of God. And third, when we focus on God's vision of the future. Beginning in chapter 4, I only have time to read first two verses, but in chapter 4, Micah begins to have a vision, God's vision for the future. Listen, now, it shall come to pass... In the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and many peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. Now, what's the future there? What's the vision for the future there? The vision for the future is that people who aren't part of God's people will become part of God's people. For Micah, it was a future, and and in part, it's a big-time future. In part, it's our future. If you look at at, at verses 5 through 13, you see how, how God is going to change everything, that peace will become the norm, not war. War will become non-existent. He's talking about a beautiful future where Jesus comes Again, and, and makes his kingdom reign over all things. And, and so there is that picture of the future kingdom. But, but you need to realize that we're part of the future that Micah saw. You and I. See, we're the future. Our present is Micah's future. How, how, how do I know that? Well, how many of you are um, ethnically Jewish? Any, uh, raise your hand if you are. Okay. One or two, three, four. Four in a room of 900. And yet we're here coming to the presence of God to hear from God, to commit ourselves to walk in the ways of the Lord. That's that's the vision. That's the vision lived out here. It's other peoples, you realize that in Old Testament time, in much, most of the New Testament time, there were two types of people. You were either a Jewish or you were a Gentile. So when Micah talks about peoples of other nations, he's talking about you and me, except for the four or five who are here, who are ethnically Jewish. Here we are today. We are a living fulfillment of the future that Micah saw. We are people from from tribes and tongues and nations who have come together to, to hear the word of the Lord, to commit ourselves to walk in the ways of the Lord because we know that God's way is the only way to live. That's our present. It was Micah's future, but there's also a future from here. See, when we focus on God's vision for the future, we're focusing on the fact that God wants people who aren't here to be here. God wants people who aren't yet in the family to become part of the family. It's a picture that, that God desires no one to perish but all to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's a picture that God is working for the rescue of sinners across time and across countries and across nationalities and across cultural and demographic barriers, it's the picture of a future where God is looking down the road and he sees that some people are headed for heaven and then yet there are some people who are headed for hell and he wants more people to get in heaven than get in hell. It's a picture of God looking at the future and saying, how many more can we save? Let's work harder for it. Today, we need to have a focus on that future where we begin to understand that God is committed to the rescue of sinners. And some of those sinners we know. When we focus on that future, it becomes a clarion call for us that even though peoples of other nations walk after the name of their gods, we, we walk in the name of God. Of the Lord our God forever and ever. We represent Him. The question is, are we representing Him well? And that's the question before you. That's the question before me today. Will I do what God wants? Will I shine brightly for Him? Will I share love and truth in a way that represents God well? Will I live? filled with the power of the Spirit of God so that I might represent God well? Will I focus my attention and my affections on God's vision for the future so that I might represent God well? Bring it home down to the very core. Here's the question. Are you doing what God wants? This morning, right now, are you doing what God wants?